Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety from the Lighthouse Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me this Sunday afternoon via Zencaster is my friend Michael Eboff. And Mike, it was some kind of week for the Islanders. We had a lot of games, a lot of news, some returns, some long-lost returns, some number retirements, shoes, rumors. <laughs> my God, it just it never stopped. It never stopped. Yeah, coaching, coaching riff. It was a lot. Of, oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah. beef. There's beef everywhere. There's all this. It yeah. was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a. Uh, the Highlanders just the news cycle just kept spitting out like weirder stories and yeah. uh, it was funny because the Taylor Hall trade happened and then mm. and then you know twelve hours later it was just all these weird Islanders stories that were kind of like dominating well obviously not dominating the national news cycle but the Islanders news cycle at least was uh, wasn't really people lamenting about Taylor Hall it was it was the reunite the re uh, reunions with with Ho Sang and then the the stuff with Trotz and LaViolette and then the Ilyas Rokin. I mean, you just, you touched, we touched so many hot button people and topics in a week. And just, we had to, you know, you got to do it before the holidays, get it all out so that uh, it's all out in the air. It's like the airing of Islander grievances, basically. (laughs) Yeah. This week felt like it it took a month. (laughs) And I, you know, and to illustrate that, I had totally forgotten that the Taylor Hall trade was also this week. So there you go. And so much has happened to the Islanders. Oh, we also had a leaky roof at Nassau Coliseum. But, I mean, that's old news at this point. I don't think it would be Um, be upset uh, if if there weren't those kind of issues still left at the Coliseum because it it feels good that that, that's still a thing. You know, I don't don't want want to – 
state of the art coliseum where the roof doesn't leak. I want I want to make sure that there's always a always at least one leaky roof a season until uh, until we leave. <laughs> I did see a friend of mine say like, oh, how, you know, how many millions of dollars of state money went into this? And I felt like saying, well, not as much as you think. The owners are the ones that spent most of the money, but clearly it wasn't enough. But in any event, uh, we'll, we'll, maybe maybe we'll get to that. Maybe we won't. But uh, this is going to be like a supersized uh, season ending uh, episode. So there's, we got a lot to get to. But uh, I want to start talking about the three games that the Islanders played this week. Uh, some good. Some bad, some really good, some really bad. Um, and it started with uh, an 8-3 loss to the Nashville Predators on Tuesday. And I'm really glad that I, you know, when we were talking about it last episode, I remember saying that, you know, Nashville had had kind of a mediocre season at that point. But, you know, there's always the possibility, the possibility that they could come in and kick the Islanders' asses. And they ended up doing just that. But that was not like a normal 8-3 to game. The Islanders actually did a lot of, a lot of good in that game. And... Their Corsi or their shot share, um, you know, chart that I, I ended up tweeting looked like no game the Islanders have played, I think, this season. Like it was like the steep climb. <laughs> it was a huge hill where the Islanders had all the shots. And when the Predators got one chance on net, it went in. I, th- I believe five went in on Thomas Grice, three went in on Simeon Varlamov. I don't know if they changed the light bulbs at the Coliseum or something, but. Uh, it was not a good scene. Um, you know, they were tied for a couple of seconds. They dominated the Nashville at times, and it just no goalie could bail them out. Trot said afterwards he couldn't get a save. Um, and so, you know, the less we talk about that game, probably the better. The, the Islanders certainly haven't talked about it. Barry Trotz called it an outlier. But there was some controversy and some beef, like you said, afterwards, um, sort of late in the game, the, the Predators got a power play because, of course, they did. And uh, Peter Laviolette sent his, like, top power play unit out there and, Afterwards, Barry Trost was asked about it, and on game night, he was asked something about it, and he didn't say much, but then a couple of days later, when the Islanders were getting ready to play the Boston Bruins, somebody else asked him about it, and he had a quote that made the rounds, and he basically said, I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, Everybody has their own way of doing it. I probably wouldn't have done it that way. Uh, He also said he would probably talk to LaViolette about it uh, over the summer, and of course, everybody's like, oh, this is big. But um, I think the big thing, though, that people forget is that there's another line in there where Trot said that it's eight to three and you're putting your guys blasting pucks and you're putting guys at risk. And I think that was, was problem. It wasn't so much about running up the score. It was about how the Islanders PK is all about like, you know, selling out and blocking shots. And you got guys like Casey Zizekas and Johnny Boychuk on that very power play blocking shots. Meanwhile, you know, it's eight to three. They don't need to, or seven to three. They don't need to be blocking Roman Yossi slap shots at that point. And so I think that was Trotz's problem was not so much about making the score nine to eight to three. It was more about like, hey, I don't need Casey Zekas missing two months because he took a slap shot in an eight three game, killing a penalty. Like, why is that actually happening? So that was the thing. Kind of came and went. I don't know. It's two, two beloved Islanders coaches uh, beefing, and nobody really enjoyed it. But it was definitely more enjoyable than the game, which kind of sucked to be honest with you. Yeah. It was. I was actually happy that Trot said something. I mean, not because I, I want, I don't like Laviolette, just because it's it's cool to see him continue. You know, he stands up for his team, and he always he, he's not a guy. You don't really see him, you know, in refs' faces. He definitely doesn't mince words about if they played if they deserve to win, he'll say it. If they don't deserve to win, he'll also say it, no matter what the result. Um, so if he truly felt upset and he truly knew his team needed to hear that and like just another affirmation that hey look I got your back in those types of situations um whether that was maybe Boychuk or someone like 
yelling at the bench and being like, you know what, this is pissing my players off, so I should say something. Uh, that stuff's just good to hear. It's um, part of like his program as a coach is definitely not just on ice. Like he does all this stuff off the ice uh, with like I don't want to call it mind games, but like just he's he he instills like this uh, you know all for one mentality with like everything he always says and. That was another one. And I think about that stuff all the time. Like I get, I don't get mad, but I get so upset or sad and scared when you see, you know, Casey Sezik is lay out for a shot in a five, one game, whether it's, you know, either way, I'm just like, just, there's just no reason to do it. Just, I, I know it's instinct, but, and one way to kind of, uh, not have those problems is, is by not blasting shots in an eight, three game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it got me jacked up for, for, uh, Mm. especially, considering that yeah most of that game you just want to throw out uh mm. the there were like a lot of breakdowns it, it was like a it was a, a the, the three games they were really weird because you had the first game against the predators the game against the ducks and the bruins game in between where the ducks and the predators game the mistakes and mental mistakes and lack of execution and just bad kind of brain work from the islanders like they they just weren't as disciplined and smart as they usually are cost them in games that arguably they should have been at least closer or, or won. Uh, and then in the Bruins game, it was like an execution, like a clinic in, in, in executing a defensive game plan. So just to see those two games on the bookend, that Bruins game was really strange. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the Anaheim game. Cause I do want to talk about that and then the Nashville game at the same time, because they are very similar. Um, you could choose which one you thought was worse. Uh, the ducks line. I mean, at least the predators. Yeah. They've had, haven't had a great season, but there's still a lot of guys there that you know how good they are. Again, Yossi and Ellis and Forsberg and Johansson and Pekka Rene, obviously. So, I mean, they're still a good team. They just haven't played up to snuff this year. The ducks came in, Ryan Getzlaff had the flu. So, I mean, the one duck that anybody could recognize probably, you know, out of a police lineup, he's missing the game. And then they have a ton of injuries, Troy Terry and all these other guys, John Gibson, of course, still played. Um, But yeah, like you said, there was similar breakdowns in both games. It was really just the net front D and, and, you know, trots after the Anaheim game went through the individual goals. And one of them mentioned, one of the ones he mentioned was we couldn't box out. And I I believe that might've been the, uh, the tying goal or, or whatever it was that, uh, you know, sent the ducks ahead. So anyway, the the Islanders ended up losing six, five in a shootout, which makes them look better than it actually was. Um, but it was another game where they, they kind of had the run of the place. I have Carrie's, um, happy birthday, Carrie, by the way, today's his birthday. So if you see Carrie on Twitter, uh, on Monday, definitely wish him a belated happy birthday. But, uh, you know, they had 76% of the high danger chances. The Islanders did, they had, you know, their attempts were 50, 2% 2% in their favor. I mean, they uh, 52% expected goals percentage. I mean, those are good numbers. And uh, and they still lost the game 6-5 in a shootout. They just couldn't couldn't make any, like, for whatever reason, their net front defense was a disaster. And there were scrambles, and usually the Islanders win those, or at least kick the pucks out. But this one time, they didn't. And whereas Trot said, you know, with Nashville, every puck ended up on their stick, every rebound ended up going their way. With the Ducks, it just seemed like they were kind of in the the Islanders' faces, and they just kept coming away with more goals. And then the um, the real backbreaker, I think, was that uh, that Cam Fowler goal, where it was it was a shorthanded goal, which again is not something the Islanders give up that often. He just skated down, and there was somebody in uh, the one defenseman was screening Varlamov, and and he just shot it, you know, in the top corner. And it's like, oh man, what do you? 
you know, what, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> that, and that was, I think, the worst part of both those games was the feeling of helplessness. I mean, the Islanders are all about control, and we'll talk about control, like you said, when we get to the, the Bruins game. But in both of those games, they did not have control. It looked like they had control. And when they had the when they were in the other team's zone, they sure as hell had control. But once they got into their zone, the control was lost. And boy, it was a weird feeling. And I did not like it one bit. And uh, many people have mentioned, like, this is almost like Doug Waite hockey again under Barry Trotz. And I was like, yeah, a little bit. And But at that point, we hadn't tasted tr- Barry Trotz hockey. So we didn't know that this was wrong. Now that we know it's wrong, I don't like going back to <laughs> to, to that sort of like, you know, fire wagon Anything can happen hockey. I like my hockey being controlled or boring, as some people might call it. But uh, yeah, those were not two fun games, two games that were not fun. Honestly, I didn't enjoy either one of them. And I'm glad they're over. And <laughs> the uh, the Ducks game, the Islanders probably made six or seven mistakes in the game and five of them went in. <laughs> that's that. That's what was so frustrating. And you felt it like you, the impending doom was there. A lot of times. uh you know, when a team's coming down on a two on one and you're just like, oh, they're definitely going to score on this one. Like I, I'm like a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Uh, you, you get those feelings sometimes throughout a game and anytime the ducks seem to have a, a, a bit of daylight in the offensive zone, it's like, oh, this is going in none, none more apparent than that one where I can't even remember who it was. Someone just basically threw with, they were Islanders were going for a change and someone threw it back to the defensive zone being like, oh, there's yeah. probably someone there. That, was, someone the, there. So the- that was the Cam Fowler one. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it was Ryan Pollock, and, I think, threw it back, yeah, into the neutral zone and ended up getting picked up by the wrong guy. And as that puck was sliding through the neutral zone, I had that feeling. I was just like, wow, this is going to end up in the Islanders' net. Like, this is such a weird, weird play that, to begin with. Like, I just know this is going to end up in the, in the Islanders' net. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was, um, it, that was a game the Islanders definitely, like, when you look under the hood, at the expected goals and stuff like they deserve to they quote unquote deserve to win it but they also made so many mistakes to keep a bad team in the game that you're like no like that is that's how the islanders of you know the 2010 2011 islanders won 20 games or however many games they won they won because the other team made enough mistakes to give them a chance to score and they converted enough of them and gibson honestly like that was a really for as many goals as he allowed he played really well he made some he had one bad goal that he gave up, but he played. He made some really good point blank saves, and uh, I, so there's there was really nothing that that really freaked me out about that game more than uh, I was just frustrated. But the fact that it came in the same week as that Predators game, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, there's, there, there's something, right. and and I think the problem is probably that uh, with when Dal Cole, without Dal Cole, and and now with Clutterbuck out, like the, the Islanders' forward depth is such that. When they're they're playing like yesterday, they had Johnston, Komarov, and Matt Martin on the ice together as mm-hmm. a line, and I think they had them together uh, for th- throughout the game. Like they didn't play much, but but when they were when when either of them were on the ice, they were out there together. Um, and then you had like Kunako with uh, Bailey, Bailey and Broussard, I think, right? And so it's just like there's it was it's a lot of like square pegs and round holes. And what that does is it just kind of creates a little bit of, like you said, like the Doug Wade style hockey where um, guys kind of don't really know where to be and uh, aren't used to playing with each other and, and roles are shifting. And got, like Tom Kunakle obviously shouldn't be a top six or even like top nine forward at this point. Like, so like he's playing a game, he's playing with a guy. I don't, he's, I'm pretty sure he didn't know 
like what to do with Derek, a player like Derek Broussard. I can't think of two <laughs> more different players uh, in like right. in the NHL than those two. Uh, and so it's just, it, it, I think that is kind of having an effect on on the team at whole. Like it's not, it's not just defensemen who are supposed to be playing defense. Yeah, the lines were different, and you know, in the in the duck zone, I thought the forwards were doing really well. In fact, the one line that had uh, been playing really well—I shouldn't say that—the one line. Um, so you had the Barzell, Lee, and Eberly. They opened that Ducks game with with a goal. Um, I believe they also had a goal in the uh, in the Predators game too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then you also had uh, Nelson, Beauvillier, and Bailey. So they swapped Broussard and Bailey on that line. Yeah, and then sort of Broussard was kind of a mixed bag line and then he would come out for the power plays, you know? So yeah, I mean, it must've been probably a rough game for him too, but the uh, Lee Barzell and Everly line looked great. And in fact, Barzell was his 200th game. He had a goal and an assist and his goal. And it's funny because in each game he had a spectacular goal, (laughs) right? Or did, or did he not score in the Predators game? No, I thought he did. did. I don't remember now, but, but the, um, the game, the goal in the Ducks game was awesome. I mean, he another. It's almost like the game in, in, that goalie had against Columbus, where Adam Pellick had thrown it up and he caught it, and he ended up on a breakaway. This was very similar. I don't know who cooked it out to him, but uh, I think it was Mayfield. I think it was Lee. Oh, was it Lee? Oh, okay. Was it Mayfield? It was. It was one of those big yeah. guys, but uh, it was the type of, you know, the impending doom kind of play that I was mm. talking about. Once he caught that puck and was alone in the neutral zone, I was like, "Oh, he's going to score!" <laughs> like, there's no, there's, I had no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that that goal alone. I mean, there were 11 goals scored in that. If you count the the shootout goal, I guess more than that. If you count the shootout goals, but that was by far the most spectacular one, and it was great. And uh, Brian Pollock also his 200th game, and he had a goal and assist, and Nick Letty had three assists. So, I mean, things were happening. But as Barry Trotz said at the end of the game. Uh, the line, the top line there was also, they each had uh, two points, but they were also a minus two and yeah, plus minus whatever. But he's like, we're not in the points business. We're in the winning business. And again, that is just, that's a line that, you know, Barry Trotz says, and everybody stands up and listens and he's right. Then, and the players I'm sure understand that, uh, you know, to get points is great, but it's all about winning. And they got a point. Uh, Pittsburgh lost uh, on Saturday night, so that that was helpful. Uh, the Flyers, unfortunately, won. And the Caps are never going to lose again. I'm sorry. The Caps are just – they're simply – you know, we always say, oh, they can't go 82-0. These guys are going to win. They're, whatever they've lost so far, that's the, the last games they're going to lose. Like, there's no way I can see this team losing any games. They just don't. Um, it's really annoying. And so they're like nine points up on the Islanders. Uh, and the season's not even half over yet. And they haven't even played each other since the first first game of the season. So it should be pretty interesting. But, uh, you know, all things considered, it could have been worse, I suppose. Um, uh, they did get the one point. And like you said, in between those two games was an absolutely spectacular statement game that they played in Boston. It was a 3-2 shootout win. And, uh, you know, we say it all the time, like whenever they play – a nationally televised game. This game was flexed into the NBC schedule. So somebody was like, wow, this is going to be a good game. We should play it. And that those are usually the, the setups for like, oh my God, these guys are going to, they're going to suck. And it's going to, people are going to be like, oh, these guys are the worst. I don't understand. The Islanders played great in that game. And I know a lot of people were upset that I think the, they had, the teams had combined for what, like 12 or 13 shots <laughs> through halfway. Like I think the first period, the Islanders led the Bruins in shots four to three. And uh, I think it was like, you know, six to five halfway through the game. And then things opened up and the goals started coming. But um, that was a clinic, like you said. It was a clinic of two defensively minded teams who controlled the neutral zone, who didn't make mistakes in their own zone, who didn't let shots get through in their own zone. And just, you know, was nothing was getting through. That was like a playoff game. Then the goals started happening. 
Uh, well, the, the Bruins are up one nothing on an early goal by Anders Bjork. Um, but then Johnny Boychuk ties the game. Barzell scores an awesome goal again from an assist from Johnny Boychuk. Uh, the Islanders get into some penalty trouble. It's five. It's a five on three. The Bruins, of course, tie the game. Uh, they go to overtime. It's a bit. It's pretty even. And then Eberle and Barzell score in the shootout. David Pasternak again, of course, is going to score in the shootout. But I mean, it was a shootout. Nobody likes it. But that was awesome. I mean, that was a, a game that you know, not to put too fine a point on it, a game in the middle of December. But that was a game you were proud to be an Islanders fan. Like these guys went toe to toe with a, one of the best teams in the league. The team ahead of them in the Eastern Conference standings, and a team they haven't beaten in two years, and uh, they came away looking pretty damn good. So, makes the other two teams seem very more disappointing, <laughs> much more disappointing by comparison, yeah. unfortunately. But man, that game was awesome. I think um, part of it is like when you play the Bruins, you know that you can't really, you know, make mistakes and kind of dig your way out. So maybe like that was kind of the. I, in the players' minds or something for that game is that why there was so much tighter details are paid attention to, whereas like the Ducks, like you said, no gets laughed. Everybody's hurt. They're not, they've not been good. Like you can probably get away with a mistake or two, which the Islanders didn't, and they didn't do it against the Predators. But the, that Bruins game is, I think the most important of the week. And maybe this is, you know, a little biased because I'm an Islander fan, but when you, when you look at it, like the, that Predators game, probably an outlier, a weird burn the tape forget it happened game the ducks game was much more of a lesson in like hey like there's a reason why we when you when you play you you play these teams like you don't you don't just get to say oh the ducks are worse than us like we're gonna take the two points and leave like there's a reason so and then the bruins game more than more than any of them like the islanders again the team that the islanders most i guess want or emulate their style looks exactly like they they went toe to toe and they won the the coin flip game because they didn't make the mistakes and they showed themselves like, look, if we have to play the Bruins in a seven game series or if we have to play a team like, I mean, the Penguins are playing a very similar style of hockey now. Like these, the Islanders have been doing it for long enough that you can they can match they can they can play these guys. It's it's not a uh, it's not just going to be a walkover. So I was I mean yeah, so you're proud to be an Islander fan on that night. I was I was proud that that Johnny Boychuk had probably his best game uh or i i mean he's he's the type of player where he he's noticeable for like we, we always talked about brian Strait as a player that if if brian Strait didn't show up on as in your head throughout a game it meant he had he probably had his best game ever johnny boychuk is it's impossible for him to have that style game because he's he's so noticeable like on a penalty kill he's laying on his stomach to block, break up passes he's got that rifle shot that he winds up for so violently, like th- th- no matter what happens, if he if he has a zero point zero zero assist, even plus minus, no goals for or against on ice, he's still going to do something, whether it's a hit or something. That you're like, oh, there was Johnny Boychuk. He's just that kind of player. <laughs> and then to have that kind of game uh, on national TV it was just it was pretty cool mm. uh, in Boston. <laughs> in Boston, right? Exactly. Like they were saying that you know people uh my fiance she's a bruins fan like her and her family they still love johnny boychuk Mm -hmm. so uh it's it's cool that he did that in that game on that spotlight in that city uh yeah it it is weird that they still talk about the trade even though it was like four years ago and i I was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit when they were mentioning it that was uh brendan burke and pierre mcguire and i gotta say i tweeted this too i found pierre actually to be somewhat tolerable in that game he wasn't nearly as offensively irritating as he normally is. Um, I did find it funny that he attributed the popularity of the floss dance 
to um, Brady Kachuk in Ottawa because uh, he does it. And I, you know, I was yeah. like yelling at my computer <laughs> while I was watching it. Uh, Pierre, that's from Fortnite. So don't, you know, you don't, that's like, let's not credit Brady Kachuk with a dance that he's doing because of this video game. Thank you very much. But uh, other than that, I thought it was okay. But yeah, I just, I do find it funny that they keep talking about this and it felt like a talking point. Like to just find something to talk about with the Islanders is this, this trade that happened four years ago. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. They, they did, they found the details in that and, you know, match the Bruins. I will say the one thing though, and it wasn't specific to that game, but it has become, I think pretty apparent if you've been watching, especially since they went to overtime twice this week, I think the league has caught on to the Islanders overtime strategy. Like I think they figured out that the Islanders, do this thing where they rag the puck and they hold on to it and they keep you stuck out there. And then they send Matt Barzell over the boards. And then he just runs around like the Tasmanian devil until he scores a goal. Like they have figured this out because everybody else is doing it now too. They're just holding on to the puck. And now the Islanders are the ones getting caught out there in overtime. And so I don't know if that success that they've had in overtime is going to last that long this, this season, but uh, it was fun while it lasted. Uh, but I think the world has caught on to it, and I think they maybe need a new overtime strategy uh, going forward because it's now it's become boring. <laughs> it's, for, it's fun when they do it to somebody, but when both teams are doing it, it, it is not fun anymore. You know, It becomes really boring. Yeah, but I guess the good thing is that when you're um, – the Islanders were ahead of the curve in developing that strategy, and now other teams are emulating it so that they, they can now kind of turn, turn on it. Uh, hopefully, yeah. But yeah, definitely changes mm. need to be made. Is it? Uh, I, so I, I had my holiday party that night, but I heard someone saying that Mike Milbury said something like Anthony Beauvillier needed to find his game or something at some point. Which yes, I, I'm so happy that <laughs> happened because it just goes. It just is like you I, you you go into those national games, especially when the Islanders are on. You're like, I really hope that these guys prove why they're they're so loathed. And I mean, that mean if you mm. if he was paying it, if he had any inkling of how like the Islanders' season has been going, he would have. Uh, know that uh Beauvillier has probably been the at times the most important player and you know at worst the third or fourth most important player for the team this year oh yeah and and he's been a revelation this year you know I mean but you could watch one Islanders game and understand that and the fact that Mike Milbury didn't know that tells you how many Islanders games he's watched you know it's and I, I even said on Twitter like you know how some guys some old players like they they leave the game or they get traded and they still kind of keep tabs on their old their old mates. Mike Milbury is definitely not one of those guys. Uh, he did. I got to give him credit. He did have a funny line. Catherine Tappan said, you know, Mike, you have, you've coached and GM'd both of these teams. So like, you know, who was, what fan base was the hardest on you? And he immediately was like Islanders fans. And he's like, you know, I used to have the, the suite at the Coliseum and, and after every game, if we lost, people would be below the suite yelling jump. So <laughs> like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and, and obviously he's, he's totally correct. And uh, and frankly, he deserved it, and it made put a smile on my face. And you know, he uh, I'm glad he sees the humor in that, but I, I feel like he uh, probably uh, you know doesn't get why he was being yelled at that way. But um, but yeah, it was it was pretty I, that was brought to my attention, and he did say that, and he he's just the worst. Um, what was the other th- um, there was a, a funny thing I forgot to mention too in the uh, in the Anaheim game where the uh, the puck ended up in a referee's pocket. That was something I've never seen before either. Where yeah, me neither. <laughs> Erica Branson, I think, tried to flip it off the boards and ended up going right into a referee's pocket. So there you go. Something. That's the last the last person you want that to happen. Yeah, but, but, you know, you don't want Branson probably was just like, all right, I get to hit this guy now. Yeah, uh, he. It's so. I feel like the Islanders have played Eric Branson thirty times this year on right. eight different teams. Every he, team has a good good Branson on it. Yeah, but he also so like going back to that Panthers series, like he was on the Panthers. 
So uh, for that, and then he went to the Canucks for a little while, then the Penguins. I just feel like no matter where he is, like when he's making a debut for his new team or he's just mm. like getting settled with his new team, they end up playing the Islanders. So he's already played him. They, I think they played him once or twice with the Penguins. They played him twice yeah. now with the Ducks. They played him in the playoffs last year. They played him in the playoffs against the Panthers. I'm like this guy, mm. and he's he's not. I don't think he, he's actually seemed to put be putting together an all right Penguins career before they traded him. But like this guy is not good, and he's just like I'm just waiting for him to hurt someone because the way he plays. <laughs> um, so well, I'm just happy. Comment, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully he's you know he's done with this playing. Playing for the rest of the he'll year, he'll probably get traded back east for some yeah, to somebody. He'll be on the Flyers or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he'll, he'll get traded to the Rangers just in time for the Islanders to play them three times in January. This <laughs> <laughs> guy, this guy, the playoffs all over again. Oh my god, I hate yeah, exactly. this guy. Um, yeah, so uh, so the Bruins game was clearly the highlight of the week. The uh, the biggest disappointments. Number one was you know, the Nashville game. Number two was the Anaheim game. And number three were these uh, Vans Islanders sneakers that were revealed uh, via Twitter. Easily the third most disappointing thing that happened this week. I mean, they made a big deal about it. It's just a regular pair of Vans with an Islanders logo on it. it seemed like they put more thought into the box and the and like the wrapping paper that goes inside than the shoe. I mean, they're not they're cool shoes, but I mean, I don't know. I was kind of expecting a little bit more, but there you go. But yeah. I guess the fact that you know, it was the buildup, the buildup was what yes. screwed them. Like if yeah. they had just been like, hey, like, we got these new vans on sale at the team store. If you want them, come get them. People are like, all right, cool. Like, but the way the buildup was and like the marketing effort that went behind it. And mm. yeah, it felt. It was it like felt, a week of like little teases and like, yeah. you know, all kinds of stuff. And yeah. And people, I mean, people get, or get the way that they've kind of been, uh, I don't want to like, they've been, we'll give them credit. Like the Island has been kind of knocking it out of the park with like their um, apparel lately, I guess like for, at least for some people, like if you like, obviously if you like the fishermen stuff, like, I think most people are saying like they they're doing a pretty good job. It's 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 not like gaudy or anything. It's, it's sure it's like it's the it's teal and orange, so it's going to stick out. But like it's 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 in line with like kind of what they're doing. So they've been doing a good job with that stuff. So I think people are like, oh, like they've been doing decent work with with this kind of stuff. Uh, if this was five years ago, people were like, oh my god, this is going to be terrible. And then it was terrible. So it was like you met expectations, but this time they underwhelmed and. Uh, they, I think they hopefully will learn from it because uh, they've been. I feel like they've been better about that. Reading, reading the room, the Islanders definitely mm. were one of the worst, not just sports teams, but just I think organizations in general at reading the room for a long time, and they've been better at it now. Uh, but yeah, those are those are strange. I actually think that I would, if if uh, if I happened to walk into a pair of them, I think I would still wear them. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, the shoes themselves are fine, but yeah, like you said, the build up. We were all expecting a lot more than just a black shoe with an Islanders logo on it. And it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, whatever. If I saw them in the mall, I'd be like, oh, these are cool. And, you know, depending on how much they were, probably buy a pair. But yeah, that was, uh, they kind of, yeah, like you said, that was kind of a mis- mis- miscalculation on the uh, social media team's part, I think. But uh, yeah, they're kind of cool shoes. So if you go out and buy them, enjoy. Uh, okay, we're going to take a break. And uh, this was just the game. The game analysis portion uh, of the the show. When we come back, we're going to have a lot more off ice uh, topics to discuss, including number retirements, surprise returns, injuries, Doctor Lou Lamorello giving his uh, his diagnosis on stuff, and a lot, lot more. So come back with us in a couple seconds. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our sponsor, as always, is VintageIceHockey.com. T-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring over 100 classic hockey logos, including the Long Island Ducks, New York Golden Blades, New York Rovers, New England Whalers, Las Vegas Thunder, all kinds of great stuff, Fort Worth Texans. Uh, they also carry our Lighthouse Hockey Al Arbor T-shirts. Uh, you can get them there. Uh, and we also have a discount code. If you put in the code Lighthouse15 at checkout, you save 15% off your order. If you order a Lighthouse Hockey t-shirt or you use the code, our portion of the sale goes directly to the Center for Dementia Research in the name of Coach Al Arbor. So you can get a cool shirt, you can save some money, and you can make a donation. doesn't get any better than that. VintageIceHockey.com. Uh, probably a little too late to order for Christmas, but uh, you know maybe you'll have some cash after the, after the holidays and you can uh, pick up yourself a cool shirt. And again, like I said, uh, donate to the Center for Dementia Research. VintageIceHockey.com. Uh, okay, I don't even know where to start, so let's just roll back uh, to the timeline to last Wednesday when uh, we heard all of a sudden some rumblings that um, a certain player was about to make his return to uh, Bridgeport. Uh, Josh Hosang's um, Instagram feed suddenly sprang to life, uh, you know, steam and, and sparks flying, and he posted that it was time to play hockey again, and sure enough, the next day it was announced that Hosang was coming back to Bridgeport. Uh, he had ended his, um, well, I, I mean, we don't know if he ended his actual trade request, but, um, he was coming back and, you know, I guess he had spoke to management a couple of days later, uh, Arthur Staple had a great, uh, Q and a with Lou Lamorello and they, they talked about it. I'm glad they, <laughs> this happened and he was able to ask him and, uh, Lou said something pretty interesting. Uh, it was the first question. And, uh, when he asked about it, Lou said, uh, he had to make a decision with what he wanted to do with his future because we weren't going to tell him to come back. He called Chris. Uh, they had a conversation. He called Chris independent of his representation. So you give someone an opportunity and you give them a chance and it's in his hands now. It's as simple as that. So Chris, uh, so Lou saying that basically Josh called Chris Lamorello, uh, Sound Tigers GM, and without his agent <laughs> on the phone and said, hey, can I come back? And he talked to Brent Thompson and I guess the, it was okay. And Josh has already been in the lineup. They played last night and and he played and I don't think he scored or anything. We would have heard about it, but uh, I guess Michael Fornabio talked to him after the game and they asked how he felt. And he said, I felt great and playing great. And he's like, I'm uh, crashing the net, crashing nets and cashing checks. And it made me feel like, yes, this guy is back and God, I hope he works out because if he does, that line needs to be on a t-shirt immediately <laughs> uh but uh you know it's one game so we'll see where it goes but i mean the fact that he came back is like mind-boggling like holy shit seriously it really is. <laughs> uh, so that 
that started to pop, uh, percolate. With, uh, yeah, like you said, late at night is is yeah. Instagram, and it, it's funny because the if this and, and this is uh, you know obviously hypothetical, but if that was a you know a Vancouver Canuck or a Montreal Canadian Toronto Maple Leaf, whatever big Canadian market, you know, all hell would have broken loose. There might be a an emergency TSN 20 minute <laughs> sports center special on where's what's going on. Cause it was very cryptic. And, um, that it started to leak out, I guess like late, late that night or early that morning that, uh, he was going to Bridgeport, which honestly I thought was the last test. Like I was like, okay, they, they probably traded him. Mm. Like there's, I think that he, yeah, especially that with the way too. the, yeah. the way the post was, it sounded like more, it's, it seemed like he was celebrating a little bit and maybe like, uh, you know, thank like, like being kind of, um, you know, just like uh, cocky about getting the deal done or whatever and happy to be playing hockey somewhere. I did not think it was going to be in Bridgeport. Um, but I also love that Lou, when it started, the details came out that he did make sure to make sure that uh, to note that Josh went worked around his agent because you know that Lou Lamarillo probably hates agents more than anybody in the world because, you know, he, he, Lou, Lou fancies himself the best chicken player in the world and mm. he, uh, he, he proved it in this one. And we we said so, so many times and saw people around the Islanders that it was so unfortunate that Hosang took being on, put on waivers the way he did because Jordan Everly went down right away. Kunakel and all, uh, uh, Martin, like the Islanders were dealing with a lot of injuries uh, up front for a long time. And he would be perfect. Like Oliver Wallstrom, Cole Bardreau came up. Nobody knew who Cole Bardreau was. Uh, and he was playing for the Islanders before Hosang was this season. Like, it, it, but the timing for this one is pretty good too, I guess. Like, he, he, you know, it's unfortunate that Clutterbuck went down and Dal Cole, but the Islanders are a team crying out for depth up front, and he, he kind of happened to walk into a situation where if he puts together like, you know, a couple good weeks uh, in Bridgeport, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the Islanders on the other side of of January 1st, if, if he really shows that, you know, he's, he's in good shape and, and is up to speed. Uh, Cause the Islanders really need help up front. They really need top six help. Like they don't need the Cole Bartros. They don't need someone they can just kind of plug and play on a fourth line. They need someone with a little bit of skill to, to kind of balance out the, the, the forward group. Um, so look, I mean, we, we've, the Islander fans are weird in this way where like we, we will never turn our back on somebody who's still here. Like, just being here is is shows that like you put up with or you get what's going on a little bit with with this franchise and organization and how hard it's been to get people to come and stick and re-sign here do any all that kind of stuff so uh it it goes all the way back to you know Nabokov Viznovsky now Hosang a little bit like these he's here Islander fans don't want they don't they're not going to root against him they're not going to be pissed off that he's back and the Islanders let him back because they need him, like, and, and we we always wanted him to succeed here. No matter, he took a very circuitous path. He overslept. He ran some stairs. He demanded a trade. Now he's back. He's played like eighty games for the Islanders in his career, maybe less, and it feels like he's been here for the whole decade. But uh, yeah, I can't wait. I hope him, him, and uh, you know the guy we're gonna talk about next, Andrew Ladd. Like, we're not we're rooting for them. Like, it's it. Like, you want mm. because they can help. And the Islanders yeah. need help. Yeah, uh, I think Hosang is fifty games. I think it's fifty six games for the Islanders That's in his crazy. career, but but over a hundred AHL games, you know, because he's been down there for so long. But uh, no, I, I thought the same thing you did. Like when he was like, "Oh yeah, time to play hockey again." Um, the 
December 1st deadline for signing RFAs had passed. And so my first thought was like, I wonder if that means that there's some kind of like other CBA deadline or something that has passed. And now he can sign with like a team in the KHL or, you know, with an out clause, of the, you know, the Swedish Hockey League or something. But yeah, I never thought that he would be kind. And some people were like, no, I got to admit, like a lot of people were like, oh, if he comes back to the Islanders, this is huge. And I was like rolling my eyes like, come on, dude, he's not going to come back to the Islanders. Are you kidding me? Um, but I didn't count on him actually calling Chris Lamorello independent of his agent. And why, again, to me, that's the big thing, because his agent was the one that back in October had been the one to sort of, you know, issue the trade request, so to speak. And, and you know, the fact that Josh, you know, one one couple of months later, you know, earlier, he's had the agent calls and is like, Josh would like a trade. And Lou's like, yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. And then, you know, a couple of months later, Josh is the one calling Chris Lamorello as opposed to the agent. I find that very interesting. I don't know if that what that means exactly. But um, yeah, it's I didn't think he would be back. And yeah, that that's always been the ironic thing was he, his stay in Bridgeport originally probably would have been like two weeks, maybe at the most, because immediately the Islanders had had trouble keeping forwards healthy. And yeah, I mean, definitely. I was kind of also surprised he he got back in so quickly. I mean, they had he came back. They had a game. He didn't play. And then he played the next game. And so I guess he's, you know, he's been skating. He's been training at the BioSteel camp. So I guess he's kept himself in good shape and, uh, you know, was able to get in the line. And and to me, the other thing I thought, too, was I hope that during this time he has been keeping a, a tabs on the Islanders. And I to me, the guy who and we talked about him before, the guy I hope that Josh really kind of takes his cues from is Anthony Beauvillier, because I feel like Beauvillier is really the poster child at this point for what what the Islanders want to be like. And this is a guy who, you know, in in his own words, was like wrapped up in getting points last year. And once he kind of let go of that and started doing other things like forechecking and, and you know, making the, making defensive plays in your own zone and not worrying about getting, you know, the goals and stuff, his game changed. And like you said, he's been easily one of the best, if not the best player on the ice in a lot of games this year. And Josh can definitely be that guy. Like there's there's not a whole lot of talent, I think, disparity between the two of them. But Josh has to find that gear that Beauvillier found, which is like the forechecking gear, the relentless puck pursuit gear. Uh, and if he can find those things, plus on the top of the talent that he has, again, like Beauvillier to score goals and create offense, you know, then you're talking about adding another guy like that to the Islanders roster. Yeah. That would be awesome. And, you know, put him on a line with with Broussard and see what Yeah, I think do. he's – that's a perfect point, right? The, he, the Islanders have shown that, that especially with, with Beauvillier, honestly, even like Brock Nelson and, and you can – you could throw like he yeah. he's a guy that has clearly taken his game to the next level because he's gotten a little bit of coaching. Like there's a reason Barry Trotz has coached in the NHL for as many games as he has. And there's compared to playing 56 games in four years. Like there's a reason that this guy has is as successful as he is. There's a reason why Lou Lamarillo is. So if uh, if Josh has finally gotten that point, I think it's great. And you might not know like that trade requests, uh, you know, I think him getting waived. It could could have come. His agent was the one who made the request. I think they said in that in that uh, article. So it's it's uh, it sounds like maybe the the situation was mishandled a little bit on, and that was acknowledged. Uh, I I can't wait. I, I'm excited to see how this all su- susses out because he's uh, he's obviously someone with the potential to be a fan favorite with just his personality. There's we say we said it when he was um, playing well. I don't know about last year if it was a, the the time before that where he had a little bit of an extended stay like. Like this is a guy that like the Islanders have and nobody else has, but every fan base would love to have this kind of player because he's he's got so much personality that he's sure he's volatile, but he's uh, he's exciting every night. 
And I know he was paying attention because when Oliver Wallstrom was called up, he he donned number twenty six, and mm. and I know Hosang uh, had like tweeted at him or something like nice number. That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah, nice number, bro, uh, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. So uh, right. he, I, I think. That. I think, yeah, as I think uh, they're, you know, like guys like Michael Del Cole, like the, in his kind of generation, like those guys are probably, I'm sure he stayed, stayed in touch. And uh, he's, I mean, Del Cole too, to some extent is another guy that, you know, the Islanders never gave up on. Like he, they could have easily cut ties with this kid. Instead, they uh, basically put him on a different career path. They, they said his career is more of a, uh, look, you're a, a, a hardworking checking winger uh, and you can play on a second or third line, but Sometimes you're going to be on the fourth line. Like, this is your career. This is how you're going to make an NHL career on. And he's done a good job. Sure, he doesn't score, and but he's uh, he's effective in his role. And hopefully that Hosang, Hosang figures that out, what his is. I, I think I – was, I was just thinking about that game against the Ducks and just both sides of the, the, the rosters, right? That Ducks – if you could have named all 20 players on the Ducks yesterday and all 20 players that were playing for the Islanders, like, if you looked at the bottom six, Ross Johnston – Matt Martin, Leo Komarov, mm. you had Tom Kunakal on the ice. Yeah, all these guys on the Tom Ducks, Kunakal, who, yeah. who could you could put replace them with the on the Islanders and uh, on the Islanders like bottom six, and it, you're just like, wow. If the Islanders had Josh Hosang, he would make such a difference in this game because Kunakal or Martin or Johnson, someone would, or Komarov would have been pulled out. The other guy would have been knocked down to where he's supposed to be, and that just balances the whole thing. So. Mm. Yeah, can't wait. I just really it's is an exciting it's an exciting development. The yeah. Islanders it happened right after the Taylor Hall trade. They always do it. Just rip the back pages from the Arizona <laughs> Coyotes like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, you're right. It did happen right after the Taylor Hall trade. Taylor Hall wasn't traded to the Islanders, but also thankfully not traded to the Penguins, Hurricanes, uh, yeah. Rangers, Flyers, or anybody else that can hurt the Islanders at any point. So <laughs> good luck out there. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Um, so, but all right. So, so the Hosang thing happens. We'll get to what else happened on Wednesday in a little bit. Um, but uh, a couple of days later, so it was in the um, the Bruins game where uh, Cal Clutterbuck unfortunately took a skate blade to the wrist and he immediately skated off the ice with about five minutes to go. Uh, again, the Islanders managed to, to win the game in the shootout. And, uh, you know, he, he took off really quickly, but it was pretty gross. I mean, any kind of skate cut is always inherently going to be pretty gross. Uh, and then we kind of got word that, you know, things might not be great. And then sure enough, uh, the way they, they announced on on uh, Friday, I believe it was. Oh, no, it was Saturday. They announced it in a really interesting way because they were like, uh, you know, Cal Clutterbuck had successful wrist surgery, but he's out indefinitely. And Andrew Ladd has come back. And it's like, OK, that that says a lot. You know, it's like, yeah, hey, the surgery is successful. Well, that's great. But what the hell? What happened? Um, and then my, so here comes my second favorite Lou Lamorello quote from the week when he was given an address before the game against the ducks. And, you know, he was like, uh, the surgery was successful. They went in and, uh, cleaned up a few different pieces. The, the cut was clean. And I was like, cleaned up a couple of pieces. What the hell does that even mean? And then then Lou finished by saying, I'm not a doctor, uh, but the surgery went well. And I was like, you're not a doctor. No kidding. You went up and cleaned a couple of pieces. What is he, a $6 million man? Like, I don't understand. What what kind of pieces are you cleaning up in this guy's wrist? It's gross. But um, in any event, Cal Clutterbuck is now out for a while, which is a problem for the Islanders. He leads the team team in uh, penalty kill time. He's obviously a hugely important piece of a hugely important line. Um, but they decided to call up Andrew Ladd. Now, in fairness, Ladd 
has been playing very well in Bridgeport. He's got a lot of points, and and apparently his attitude has been great. Lou mentioned he went down there, and he's been really helpful to the kids. Uh, he's his attitude has been phenomenal. He's he's you know worked really hard, and uh, something I didn't even realize uh, somebody brought up to me. I didn't even know uh, he actually makes more money in the AHL because he doesn't have to pay escrow like the uh, NHL players do. So, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize that. Um, but uh, so uh, that's pretty, probably why he's in such a good mood. But anyway, um, you know, he's back now and you know, it, it, I, I do think it's funny. Like I'm again, like you said, I, we're rooting for these guys. Like the Islanders need these kinds of guys. And if they can get a healthy functioning, productive Andrew Ladd back on the wing at a regular spot, that, that also can, you know, he's not as, is he exciting as Josh Ho saying? No, he is not. But that's still somebody that can seriously help them. And, you know, I, I don't know where this is going to go. Like I could totally see him playing really well and sticking for the entire season, or I can see him, you know, playing sort of okay and getting waved again. Cause let's face it. He ain't getting picked up anytime soon, but uh, this is again, just like the whole thing. This was not something we expected to see. I, we all assumed that we were never going to see lad in an Islanders uniform again, but now all of a sudden they kind of need this guy. And uh, it's a good thing. He looks pretty good so far. I mean, you know, he hasn't played yet, but we'll see. Maybe maybe Monday against uh, Columbus will be his first game, but we'll have to find out. It's uh, it's as much a like for like as you can get with a player like T- Cal Clutterbuck, I feel like, with the way Ladd is kind of in his this part of his career. He's not a, he's not a sco- goal-scoring winger. He's going to have to use his size and his body more and just be a 200-foot player that scores dirty goals. Um, and he's And he's obviously proved over the – the course of his career to be a good you know detail follower does the right thing at the right time kind of guy so i don't there is like a little bit of a silver lining in it being lad for clutterbuck because i think he'll be able to ho- mm-hmm. hopefully be able to kind of fill that similar role and i also think sneakily it could free keith casey Sezikis to climb up the lineup a little bit yeah. because you know him and clutterbuck have obviously been so effective together with martin and or whoever they put on that wing, like the best fourth line in the universe. Like this is a this this now means Clutterbuck's not there. And I'm not saying he ever has weighed down Sezikis, but um, I think now you can see maybe Casey Sezikis play with someone like Josh Bailey, or Casey's play with someone like like Bailey Broussard, Sezikis, like that kind of line, um, where Casey can be the anchor and the guy who's responsible, and he's he's shown an ability to score. Where and then Lad can fill in on that bottom you know, on the real fourth line. And it could also move Matt Mar- Martin off out of the lineup. Like there's, there is some, a little bit of a silver lining to be taken uh, out of it. If, if I mean, it sucks, but like you have, if you're looking at the, for the positives and I think, you know, like this is Andrew Ladd is, is not an idiot. He knows exactly what the situation, his situation is, what situation he's walking into is that this team has been wildly successful in his absence the past two seasons. <laughs> like I can't imagine what mm. like, that their record with him and against him, uh, he's not played that much. So the sample size is small, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty wildly tilted to uh, without you uh, as being better. And he knows that this is his last chance. Like this is it. So I think you'll get a, the best version that we have seen out of this is, you know, pie in the sky, I guess, but I'm hoping that we get the best version from him and Hosang, because I think the thing also, this is Hosang's probably his last chance because Every team in the league had a chance to pick him up off waivers, and they didn't. So his reputation has has kind of preceded him. Uh, he's now on his like third chance. Lad is obviously on his uh, you know second or third chance with this team on this con- type of contract. So uh, the hope those two, if nothing, should be motivated. There's there's skill in both of them. So uh, 
this could do wonders because I would take I think if you ask up and down uh, you know Islander country whether they'd run Leo Komarov or Tom Kunakul or you know you, you know even Ross Johnston uh, Matt Martin or Andrew Ladd like if you had to pick two out of the those five guys to be the fourth line wingers I think they would always say you know Ladd and a combination of you know wh- whoever else I think the opinions would vary but I would say that Ladd would probably pop up in most of them because uh, he is the guy with even at this point of his career probably the highest ceiling and he's uh he's had success in his career yeah and I, I think everybody kind of understands that injuries have really hurt this guy a lot like I think that's the other thing too is it you know has, has he has he earned the money that the Islanders sent him to no and he never will like that's just you know I, I feel like Arthur Staples said that a lot like you just have to forget about the contract with him because it's it's money that you've already spent and it's a sunk cost and that's the end of the story but if you can still get a productive player out of it well, then, you know, good for you. Like, that's what you need. And yeah, I mean, he's got the most experience. He's the only guy on the team. Well, I guess Letty, too, and Boychuk have won cups. So, yeah, and Trotz, obviously. So there is value there. And, you know, if they can, if he can be healthy, and, you know, that's kind of why I think he probably welcomed a, a trip to the AHL because he, it was allowed him to get healthy. I mean, I, I, I would venture a guess that he's say he's probably never been fully healthy in the entire time he's played for the Islanders. Like, I was, he was hurt like right, right away, right? And then he had to re- the rehab, and it's yeah. just, it's, it's been like bad. Del Cole. Like, you so, just can't, you know, you need to throw that context out the window. Yeah. Like, it's, he's, it's, it's done. Like that's a done deal. Michael Duckhole is never going to live up to the fifth overall pick. It's a done deal. Andrew Ladd <laughs> is never going to, unless he wins the con smite this year, he's never going to live up to, to that contract. <laughs> it's just is what it is. You just need to be able to yeah. separate the two, right. those two things. We, we should also say that uh, Duckhole is also hurt. Uh, he was skating today though. So my, he might end up coming back too. So we'll see what happens. See who's in the lineup uh, at Columbus uh, or against Columbus. I should say on Monday. Uh, last guy we need to talk about isn't here may still come here uh although reports were definitely kind of weird uh you know elliot friedman's 31 thoughts is the bible weekly bible it comes out everybody reads it everybody lives it as soon as it posts to twitter everybody's all over it uh he had a blurb in there about how a couple of contacts like russian contacts had told him that they feel that Ilya sorokin who's playing for cska in, in the you know the uh khl and the islanders are kind of banking on to come over here at some point uh, may force may want to force a trade to a situation that has an easier path to the NHL. Now, the reason I say it that way, that Friedman's contacts told him that they feel this way is because I read that and immediately realized or thought to myself that this is total bullshit. These two people, whoever it is, these contacts are told him that they feel this way. Well, that doesn't mean jack shit. I mean, it doesn't mean that Friedman's saying that. It doesn't mean that the player is saying that. It just means that these two people feel that way. So a couple of days later, um, Igor Orenko, uh, who is a, uh, a KHL writer uh, who's you know pretty popular on Twitter, he had a, a quote, a tweet here from uh, uh, where he asked Sorokin. He said, Sorokin on trade demand from the Isles, quote, learned I demand something when I read about it today, which is basically Sorokin's way of saying, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. So, you know, it was a controversy for a minute. People thought it was a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal to me. To me, a this is like fourth-hand information, and B there is no easier place for him to get to the NHL. The Islanders have uh, a guy on a contract and a guy who's a UFA. The guy in the contract was like literally brought in because he knows this guy, and they're basically greasing the skids and have been for two years for this guy. Uh, and so there are no other more open spots for this guy to play. If he wants to play in the NHL, the Islanders are the place for him to play. And I know it might be a money thing. 
maybe his agent's trying to like, you know, get around the the rookie salary cap, but he's going to be a rookie. Like, I'm sorry. That's just how it is. So they'll figure something out. He'll get money no matter what. Um, and it might take a little bit more drama, but I still feel like he is going to come here. And hopefully I'm not completely wrong by this time next season, <laughs> because if I'm wrong, the Islanders are in a lot of worry, a lot of trouble. Let's put that. Yeah. There, it's uh when, when I read that and then saw that the Igor Arenko is basically Elliot Freeman of Russia. Like he's mm-hmm. like very well connected and uh, he's a great follow on Twitter because, you know, there's always at least one or two guys like the Gusev stuff and that he will, he will be the guy to um, kind of just be first to know. And uh, it's just super strange. And it's another situation where, uh, cause I was watching NHL network and uh, Justin Bourne was on for hockey lunch or whatever the, f- they call it now like i can't remember what what, what it's the, the what are the leafs what does this mean for the leafs hour uh and <laughs> it and it was it was that it was a parody of itself brian burke actually before that before this came up like he was telling this funny story about joe micheletti of all people but then uh they started talking about the the fact that michael hutchinson was going to have to play goalie for the leafs against whoever because they were on a back-to-back i think it was the red wings and how terrible you know oh woe is the Leafs because they have a bad backup goalie and they Justin Bourne was like well I did read in, in sport this is a Sportsnet show so you know Sportsnet Elliot Freeman said that uh Ilya Sorokin who's a dynamite goalie in KHL has been an Islanders prospect forever is uh demanding a trade so maybe the Leafs can find a way to get him on board which I don't think is legal first of all because I think if you'd have to like pass through waivers and he's in the middle of a KHL season he's not gonna leave all this stuff but it was just unbelievable because it's just another situation for someone also who should know better because Justin Bourne obviously is connected to the Islanders the island like nobody pays attention to the details of the Islanders like Islander fans because we have to like once again going back to the host saying stuff going back to Andrew Ladd going all, all the way back to these situations like the Tavares stuff and Nabokov. And I was going to say uh, John Tavares. <laughs> yeah, Biznowski. Like, like when people tell you, like, oh, well, didn't he not want? Didn't Josh? Doesn't Josh so saying, you know, hate the Islanders? Aren't don't Islander fans hate him? You, you, you don't have time to explain to people on Twitter. Like, oh no, I can take you back to like the day he was drafted and Garcino said this thing, and it seemed like a really good symbiotic relationship. Then he kind of fell out the wayside. Then he didn't. Like, you, you just don't have time to do it. Yeah. You're not going to have time to do it with Sorokin either. So mm. the. It just seems to be one of those situations where you just got to evaluate like where this is coming from. And obviously Friedman is someone who should be trusted. But then once it was quashed, like, all right, yeah, it, more often than not, or, or more likely than not, if Ilya Sorokin comes over to the NHL next year, he'll be playing for the Islanders. Um, and this shouldn't distract. And especially it's, it's December 22nd. Like this guy isn't coming over till next to the summer. First of all, like this is the middle of the season there's a lot of other stuff to to be to be concerned about uh so i just i really hope that before this becomes you know column inch fodder for other people on insider trading or whatever that uh it just gets nipped in the bud and and we thank our good friend igor for it's great that the a guy in russia is is like more up to speed on the islanders doings than than people who are paid to to have that as part of their job yeah i guarantee that some some Canadian talking head right now somewhere is saying, well, you know, there's some there's some concern that the Islanders won't get a new arena on Long Island. Meanwhile, there's one like literally being built, you know, at Belmont Park. That you <laughs> can watch being built uh, via the Islanders website. So that's number one. And then, uh, yeah. And then the other thing, too, I was thinking of was um, uh, there was some, a leaky roof 
this this weekend at the Coliseum and, you know, got some play on Twitter. And uh, I saw some friend, a friend of mine saying, like, you know, how many how many public dollars went into fixing this dump? And I was I was going to write him back and be like, hey, you know, not as many public dollars as private dollars, but it doesn't mean it right. I'm just saying that, you know. That's a whole thing, you know, but like at that point, it's like, uh, there's no need for this. Like they're just going to run with it anyway. So who cares? But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of information out there. So, you know, again, I'm not trying to disparage Friedman again. We all read, I mean, 31 thoughts is you need that every week. I mean, my God, I'm stalking this guy's Twitter feed every Tuesday to Thursday, just wait for waiting for that one post. Um, But uh, in that one case, I I feel like, yeah, he might've gotten some, some uh, wacky information that uh, was then uh, debunked. So there you go. Uh, okay, so uh, we are now into our extra portion of the uh, the episode here, and the part that I think a lot of people are waiting for. On Wednesday, the Islanders also had a surprise announcement that I know I didn't think was going to happen anytime soon. They uh, announced the retirement of two, uh, the jersey numbers of two legendary Islanders. It's going to be John Tonelli's number twenty-seven is going to get um, retired, I believe, on February eighteenth. I believe until against the uh, no, the twenty first against the um, the Detroit Red Wings, and then uh, Butch Goring's number ninety one is going to be retired a week later against the Boston Bruins. I swear to God, I thought this was like a, uh, an Onion post or like a, a parody or something because I never thought I would see this day, and uh, it's pretty pretty remarkable. And I want to say right up front, both of these guys deserve to have their numbers retired, like. There's been a lot of debate, you know, what 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 did Butch do enough as an Islander? What, should he have it? What about Tonelli? To me, Butch is a, is a legacy. I mean, this guy, what he did for the, the Dynasty team, what he did as a coach, what he did as a broadcaster, the minor league coach for all those years. This guy, you know, when he, I remember when he got the job as Islanders coach, he said he bled blue and orange. And I believe him. And he still does. And he's a guy, again, unlike Mike Milbury. Uh, who you know kept tabs on the Islanders even when he wasn't part of the Islanders organization. So you could tell that from Butch. And he just, yeah, he's a bit of a homer. And yeah, he mispronounces names literally every single game he does. But I mean, he's just Butch. Like, you know, again, he's just a legend. Uh, and his number should be up there. Uh, we'll get to that number in a second. And then Tonelli, you know, if you're if you're like me and you you kind of missed his playing career for the most part, you just know that People have been clamoring for players like him for decades. Like, how many times have you been to the Coliseum and heard, oh, you know who they miss? They miss a guy like John Tonelli. They need this guy who's always out there. He's a, He's got a motor. How many times has Casey Sezika <laughs> been compared to John Tonelli? How many times has Kyle Clutterbuck been compared to John Tonelli? A lot, I'm sure. And John, John Ledecky basically said people have been clamoring for this ever since we took over the team. And so now it's great to finally give John that honor. And so he's earned it. And uh, Anders Lee is still going to be wearing number 27 because they talked it over. It's our number, uh, which is as uh, as um, uh, Tonelli called it. And uh, it's pretty cool. And I, I mean, I'm excited. I don't think I'm going to actually get to either of those games, but I'm pretty excited about it. I'm hoping I get to them. Uh, and I'm, I think when so you, you nailed it with the Tonelli stuff and the accent. He he. Of any Islander player, he sounds like he was born and raised on Long Island. And, because, <laughs> and not just like because his name or whatever, although that is a very Long Island name. It's like you said, the way that people talk about him. I, I'm, I'm born in 1990, so I didn't get to watch a second of him. But the same way, like I didn't know who this guy was. All I knew is that he was – when I remember when Michael Pekka came over. And he he was obviously mm, twenty. Yeah, another one. He was yeah. number twenty seven. So they were like, "This is he's the type of guy that should should be wearing John Tanelli's number. He's uh, he's just such a good leader. He's, he does the, the little things. Uh, and 
it's it's great to see, especially because like the way that this guy's relationship kind of fractured with the team and the organization to to now, like it's come full circle where he's back. He's had a ton of games now. He was he was like the the guy who just was never around for like those those dynasty you know reunions and stuff. And it was always people in the crowd were like, I really just wish John Tanelli was here. It's a little bittersweet. Like it's a little bittersweet. My man John Tanelli's not at this game. Like he was he was my favorite they need to retire his number like you just hear all this stuff and uh i was always confused I'm like i don't know who really who that guy is and um <laughs> now now to see him he's been back at the alumni nights and stuff so i think it's a a really cool gesture from the ownership and like like we were saying before like this team never really knew how to read a room they read the coliseum pretty well here like this this is a really good step in like in, in another good step in the right direction of of just building like a really good rapport with your fan base. Like who cares if, if like if, if people outside the Islanders are like, well, John Tanelli, like who the hell is that guy? Butch Goring shouldn't have his number retired. Look at his career numbers. Like that's not who's number retired. Like he meet, they both meet a ton to the organization and to like Islander fans and Islander country, like at large, like the zeitgeist of the Islanders, they're both, they are big, big parts of it. Butch still is a huge part. You hear his voice every night. Like this is, um, it's just a really good move by the ownership and it, it makes me excited about these kind of things to come. Um, weirdly, when I, when I saw that my friend texted me, he's like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. And it was cracking up at the, the irony, which we'll get to. Um, but <laughs> the, the first thing I thought about was first person I thought about was Josh Bailey. I was just like, Josh, this means that like at some point, like Josh Bailey's number will probably be retired and guys that I, you know, have, kind of been around and watched and are the John Tanellis and Butch Gorings. Like this is, this is a really good thing to like think about and be like this, you know, that those, those rafters, like it, I always, sometimes I'll catch myself like looking at them, especially with uh, the amount of them and the, the, you got the orange ones, you got the blue ones, you got the white ones, and then you got the, the Jersey, the, obviously the retired numbers. And it's been the same for besides the one Islanders hall of fame, yeah. little banner thing that came up, you know, but 10, 10 years ago yeah. with Bob Bourne and uh, those guys. But uh, it's been the same. It's going to be cool to see two more numbers go up there just in general. I'm excited. It's It's been the same since they retired uh, Tridier's yeah. number about, about 20 years ago. But I'll be honest, like I remember going to games before they retired Tridier's number and it still felt like his number was already up there because nobody nobody wore it. <laughs> and, you know, when you look at the names, Bossy, Potvan, Gillies, Nystrom, Smith, you always saw – Trottier in the middle so it was like retired but not officially retired you know but yeah these guys will be the new ones you know those Raptors are getting pretty crowded um you know uh, Bailey's is a good example and he's probably going to be the team's all-time leader in games played by the end of it I mean you know barring any kind of like uh terrible injuries or something like that he's going to be around for a long long time uh Lee is you know a possibility too I mean they could have a we could have a Bill Dickey uh Yogi Berra or you know um uh, Andy Bathgate, uh, Adam Graves scenario where you have two numbers retired for this, you know, two guys with the same number retired. Uh, we could see that happening. Obviously, the Anders has a lot, a lot more games to be played. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I like we said. I mean, it's it's a great day, and and I wanted to, uh, you know, I, I hope that it didn't, um, you know, nobody, Brendan at some point was like, uh, you know, don't don't let make this this day is about Butch and John. Don't make it about anybody else. And what he was referring to is the fact that. Butch's number 91 was worn by another guy. There's only two guys that have worn 91 for the Islanders. And one of them is Butch Goring and the other one isn't. And, uh, 
you know, the fact that they decided to do this after John Tavares left uh, is, you know, probably something. I mean, let's let's just say for the sake of argument that Tavares had stayed, he definitely would have gotten his number retired and they might have been a dual uh, number retirement thing too. I mean, at this point, Tavares's number is not going to be retired. <laughs> it will be Butch Goring's number. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's this is Islanders pride again on display. And the Tonelli thing, I, you know, it's hard to explain to people what he meant to this team, but he really was him and and Nystrom perhaps more than anybody. And Nystrom's another one too. Like, well, his you know his career numbers weren't that great, but when you take a you know, May 24th, 1980, it's kind of a big deal in Islanders history. And the fact that he was on the inaugural team, he was on the expansion Islanders and he was still on the team long enough to score the Stanley cup winning goal and then play on three more cup champions. Like that's insane. You know, how does that happen? And I mean, if that guy doesn't deserve to have his number retired, who does like that? Obviously he does. I never questioned it. I've to see people question it. I'm just like, how is that even a question? How is Bob Nystrom not going to have his number retired by the Islanders? Are you kidding me? You know, so it's the kind of thing that people argue about. It's like Hall of Fame discussions. People argue about them, but uh, you know, it it it's a great thing for the Islanders to be doing, and I hope that the ceremonies are fun. It is great to see Tanelli back. <clears throat> yeah, he had a lot of hard feelings after he was traded to Calgary by Bill Torrey, and you'd think that after Torrey left the job, he would have gotten over it, but. I guess not. And then obviously, you know, Butch was freaking fired as the coach. You know, I mean, that I would have some hard feelings too, but Butch never has. I don't think Butch has had hard feelings about anybody except maybe a referee, you know, but, uh, you know, it's tough. Um, one thing I just before we get into the next topic, I, I was this led me to uh, hockeyreference.com. I'm literally on every single day. And I would, if you click on a team, you click on the franchise page, you can go to all the numbers that have, you know, people have worn for that franchise. And a couple of things stuck out to me. One, Billy Smith is the only Islander to ever wear 31. So that's pretty interesting. Um, no Islander has ever worn 85, which is also kind of interesting. Um, Joshua saying, obviously, the only 66. Uh, nobody's ever won, worn 97 or 98, which is also or 90 for that matter, which is or 90. Yeah, 92. So we had uh, Vladimir Malikov. But uh, the most players have worn the number worn by the most players on the Islanders, 17. That's number 17 has been worn by the most Islanders. 25 Islanders have worn 17. And, uh, you know, I think Matt Martin is probably the guy who we all remember are going to remember the most. So- I think uh, just just about those numbers, like in, in the 91 thing is like, I, I like you said, Islander pride. Like the the Islanders are, are rewarding like a, a guy who is, who is exemplifying it rather than a guy who kind of didn't. Um, at all, so I think that's like yeah, sure. Right. Brennan could say it's all about Butch and and Tonelli on those nights and make it all about them, but uh, it's uh, it's not. It's it's like it's it, it, and it, and it is. It still is in a good way. It's like yeah, like we actually like w- w- you are the guy. Like you, we we remember you much more fondly than the other one. Uh, so it still is kind of like it. But if you, um, I'm pretty excited. One of the great uh, ripple effects of this. Uh, this announcement and the ceremony is going to be that in when that happens in February, right? Uh, there will be a, a microphone mm. put in front of uh, the old number 91 space that the guy who's not having his number retired and saying, Hey, like, did you, do you know what the Islanders are doing tonight? Like they're retiring Butch Gorey and he's going to have to say, Oh, you know, like I know Butchie well, like I, he's a, he's a great guy. Someone so it's like an honor that he's, mm. you know, I wore his number or whatever. And uh, you know, it's just going to bug the hell out of him. So that's, that's great. Uh, so yeah. I, oh yeah. 
Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that that is great. I do love that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I hope he feels bad. Um, and then the last thing, too, I, I do find it cool that, uh, you know, 22 has always been Mike Bossy, but three guys wore it before him uh, that have nobody remembers at all. And actually another person wore five before Dennis Potvan, which is also kind of like, oh, excuse me, four players wore number five before Dennis Potvan, which, yeah, four players yeah. wore number five in 1973 Jeez. alone, including Bob Nystrom. Boy, that's weird. And then well, that number belongs to Dennis Potvan now. But anyway, so congratulations, John Tonelli and Butch Goring uh, for making Islanders history. Can't wait to check out those games. It should be a lot of fun. Um, and that leads us to our final segment. This is just going to be kind of fun. Um, Arthur Staple had a great article about uh, sort of the best players of the decade for the Islanders. A lot of people have done these sort of best uh, games. If you've listened to PT Isles already, Joe was talking about some best games. Uh, the Isles Buzz guys did uh, their most memorable events and moments of the decade. So we decided to kind of do uh, an all uh, kind of goofball team. And last week when we were talking about it, we're like, well, what should we call it? And it was Mike's idea to call this the all not in the rafters team. And that became incredibly funny after the announcement that they're going to add two more guys to the rafters. So that's even funnier now. But, um, you know, these are just guys that uh, played for the Islanders over the last 10 years and that we just kind of liked or maybe will always remember, I think is probably the best way to put it. Um, you know, Yeah, they, they made it. Imp- I think, th- you know, we, we haven't shared with each other what they are. I think the way I approach it was like someone who made an impact on me that if I brought him up to, if you threw me into Calgary and I had to, and someone was like, oh, tell me about, you know, so-and-so. And I said, oh, like that guy was great. They'd be like, I don't even know. I didn't know he played for the Islanders. <laughs> but, you know, someone like like, like the, the Sean Bates's and uh, Wade Dublowitz's of the world, like guys who cult, cult hero kind hmm. of status, whether, or, or just like someone who might like uh, someone who, who he didn't make my list. I don't know if he made yours, but like Xenon Kanapka was someone who crossed my mind because like he played what one year for the Islanders, maybe a little more and uh, was part of several, you know, big brawl moments and also changed the goal song. And then had that thing, had the rabbit with PA Parento. Like there's just like <laughs> guys like that, but they, they crossed my mind. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they're just got make an impact. I think is probably the best way to go. Um, Cause uh, I'm not sure if any of these guys will be fan favorites or anything like that. But um, uh, so why don't we, why don't you start? Why don't we go? Why don't you tell me your forwards and I'll tell me my forward. I'll tell you my forwards and we'll just do that. And then we'll go defense and then go, we're not doing 24 players. So don't worry about it. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, you know, six, a starting six. So why don't you start with your forwards first and tell me the three of them. There's probably okay. going to be a lot of crossover here too, so, yeah, there might be. but we have not, we have no idea who each other has picked. Well, so I'm going with uh, three guys, two of whom are, were joined at the hip, the, and I'm sorry that I think two of them are centers, but one's got to play on the wing in this in this hypothetical uh, universe. But uh, the the two that are joined at the hip were Nikolai Kulamin and uh, Mikhail Grabowski, because when they came over, that was the first time the Islanders had ever been like universally lauded for two signings, because like both of them had good numbers, they were on decent contracts that the Islanders signed them to. Obviously, it didn't pan out that well, but. Grabowski was such a goofball. They were, it was, they were, they became like a, um, God, what? Or a comedy team. Yeah, exactly. I was trying <laughs> to think of like a, a famous uh, one, two comedy punch where it's like Penn and Laurel Teller. And Hardy. Yeah. Like Laurel <laughs> Hardy, Penn and Teller. Like Grabowski was very uh, funny. He was, he did that thing with the pool where he like jumped out and then Island, all his Islander practice gear and cool him in. It's kind of like just always in the background. 
And uh, I mean, they they shared they 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 uh they both played on on a couple successful teams. Obviously, Grabowski ended up getting hurt and like his career just dwindled. But uh, when Kuhlman had that big play against the Capitals, uh, where Tavares was you know behind the net, and I think he scored that goal, the, the last goal at the Coliseum before the empty net to take the lead late. Uh, and they they were just two guys that I really liked watching play. Grabowski was was reminding me a lot of Franz Nielsen a little bit. Like he, he honestly. If Mikhail Grabowski, if we can go back six years and like transport him to this time, he'd be the perfect third line center <laughs> for this team right now. But uh, yeah, those mm. two guys, and the the other guy was um, he kind of reminded me of uh, Kip Miller, the Randy Robitaille, a guy that uh, he didn't um, he didn't last long on the Islanders, but he was very important to a team that made the playoffs, and he played a good role on the team that played the playoffs, made the playoffs, and he was much better than people give him credit for. And that's Keith O'Coin. Uh, Cause he, he was like exactly what that team needed against the Penguins in, uh, what was that? 2014 or whatever. Yeah, 2013. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he's just someone to me, like I, whenever I think about, I see uh, the number 10 skating around, you know, Richard Park comes to mind. And, uh, but I also always think of Keith O'Coin and uh, just kind of the way he, he made that, he, he was like a weird missing piece on that team. And he balanced that lineup, and he was good. Uh, so he's just someone that, for 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 whatever reason, like I, I think he he deserves to be on the team because he he or on this team of mine because not only was he you know part of this, we're gonna be like oh Keith O'Coin, that's a great name drop for the rest of our lives, but he also had a very positive impact on a team that uh, I'll always remember fondly. Yeah, no Keith O'Coin was that. Yeah, it was a sneaky good. Garrick is a huge Keith O'Coin fan. Like he was a sneaky good. Yeah, a uh, depth player. He was he was a center, but um, you know that team more than anything was deep. Like they had, they were able to really roll four lines. I know it's a cliche, but they really could. And O'Coin was a big part of that. And then he, but he, I don't even think he started with the Islanders. I think he just like showed up for like maybe three yeah, quarters of the season, so. and he became he immediately became yep. indispensable. You know, he uh, was. And and I, and I do want to uh-huh. say the the two guys that I cut last, one of them were were mm-hmm. Zenon Kanapka and, and P. A. Parento. Those were, those were the final. Those were the Josh saying on waivers, guys. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, two thirds of your top line were the two thirds of my top line too, Kuhlman <laughs> and Grabowski. Um, you know, it's uh, shocking. I know, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think those guys really did make an impact. Like you said, they they were, you know, universally lauded for once as the Islanders made a, a really good you know, uh, addition, and they came at the, at the exact same time. They had they wanted to sign like a double you know, contract basically. And they searched around for a home and they, they ended up showing up, they ended up signing on July 2nd which or 3rd, I think it was one of those two. And people were like going crazy because the Islanders hadn't done anything. They didn't bring anybody in. How could you have that terrible? See, that was like at the end of the whole Vanek, you know, Molson, terrible season. They missed the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, like July 3rd rolls around and now they've just shelled out, you know, $9 million for these two guys. But, um, but more than that, they, they should have been, like the perfect additions for those teams. And, you know, Grabowski is really a very tragic story because he should have been on paper, the perfect second line center for that team. Like you already had a first line center, which was Tavares. They needed somebody behind him and Grabowski should have been that guy. But about a month into the season, he takes a, he gets a concussion. I believe it was from uh, uh, John Scott. And then he comes back and then he gets another concussion this time from Eric Nystrom of all people. And he just was never the same. And, And I was looking and he ended up only playing, two seasons for the Islanders and just a, a little over a hundred games, which is not obviously what you pay. I mean, it was a four year contract. I mean, there were, he was making like something like 5 million a year. And uh, 
on paper, he should have been the perfect complement to to Tavares, but you know, through no fault of their own, and you know, nothing you could really do. This guy, he just never turned out that way. But no, that was a, a shrewd move by Garth Snow. And then they get Kuhlman too, who again in those first couple of years was a very effective penalty killer and and you know, kind of an engine. And I, I would I wouldn't be surprised to hear that Casey Zizekas picked up a thing or two from Kuhlman because they had a very similar style. Uh, the last couple of years, I believe the third year Kuhlman was absolutely once Grabowski was just pretty much on permanent IR. Uh, Grabowski wasn't as good. And then the fourth year, I feel like yeah. he was kind of okay. But, you know, at that point, it was he was going to be gone anyway. So, uh, you know, who actually, now that you, you, know, you mentioned that with the penalty killing and the way he plays, uh, Michael Dalcoa plays a similar style. You yes, know, he's a big very winger, so. very, very relentless, and he doesn't have the finishing, but uh, he's, he's, right. he's very, he's smart and heady. Yeah, those two guys, yeah. man. They, 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 it was like, it's the weirdest and most under the radar what could have been story in, in, yeah. in Islander history. And the fact that, you know, they were moving to Brooklyn, you got these two Russian guys or a Belarusian guy and, <laughs> and a Russian guy. And they were just, yeah, I, I, I can imagine they were probably absolutely hilarious guys to be around in the locker room and just kind of, you know, like when well, you're hanging around best friends, like they're just funny. They're fun to be around. Um, you know, Grabowski, again, it was a tragic story. He ended up getting traded to Vegas in the expansion draft. And it was a whole thing. Uh, he's, I think he's doing some like color stuff now for, for Sportsnet. Kuhlman's still playing over in the KHL. So yeah, it was definitely a, a what could have been story. That's still pretty sad. And then my third guy was the guy you mentioned before PA Parento. Uh, you know, he just, you know, this guy bounced around. He was a Rangers pick. Well, no, he was a, I think a, a ducks, ducks pick. Yeah. He ended up playing for the Rangers. I think for the Blackhawks for a little while sign. This was when Garth was doing his sort of bargain basement shopping and they put him on a line with another bargain basement guy, Matt Molson. And, you know, the first overall pick from the draft or whatever it was a year before. And something about the three of them just made it work. And again, P.A. Parento would be perfect in the Barry Trotz Islanders era because he's just has a motor that doesn't quit. He's got the swagger, as Jack Capuano would say, but he can score and he doesn't back down and he's not afraid to like shadow somebody and steal a puck from him and make something happen. And so that was a really cool you know, tool set to have back then when they, they quite frankly weren't yeah, that good. Cool. Uh, cool is a perfect word for him. Yeah, he really was. And it was only two seasons. Uh, he was a UFA. They didn't want to re-sign him. And like he was kind of on the older side. And I kind of understood why they would let him walk. And he ended up signing with Colorado. Didn't work out there. They traded him to Montreal. Didn't work out there. <laughs> they traded him to Leafs. Um, and then he ended up re-signing with the Islanders. And, you know, this is where the, the story really takes a tragic turn because they, could again, could have used him. Uh, and that was the season and we talked about it a lot when we were doing the podcast at that point, they signed him. And then before the season even started, they waived him and to keep JF Burube on the roster. And it was like, really? He ended up going to Nashville. We ended up going to the devils where he had an okay season. He ended up getting traded in Nashville at the end of the season. And it was like, you know, would, would PA Parento have saved that season from being a, you know, playoff free hell? No, but was there a reason to waive this guy for a third goalie that never played? No. Uh, you know, he, that he didn't deserve that. Like he really didn't. And I, that, you know, it's a tiny thing, but that really bugged me that, that, that that's the way his Islanders career went down. And it's really stupid because really he was a very productive player for two seasons and really helped that team along, yeah. you know, and really gave them a, a, a swagger that they did not have. And uh, yeah, he, I'll, I'll always remember him. He was a, he was a cool player. Yeah. He's someone like Tonelli almost like you just hope that you can separate the business side from the fan side because P.A. Parento is someone that, you know, I, I would love to see on the list at Alumni Nights and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because he's just so 
he's also someone who made i think i love the islanders current uniforms like i love the white ones i love the blue ones i love i love those two classic looks but for some reason i thought pa parento looked so good in that white in that mm. white one like the the white jersey there's something about the way he was and like the look and the, maybe the name being a little long and there's a lot of cool letters in there like uh i just always thought he looked really cool in the islander white uniform and yeah he's he's uh he was the perfect uh kind of fit in, on that top six during those kind of dark let's get this Tavares guy yeah. up to speed before we uh before we start to win win uh kind of kind of games and uh yeah he's someone I, i'm i'm if he if he, if you see pa parento like at nassau coliseum and he was shown <laughs> on the jum- jumbotron i think he would get a a, a, a batesian kind of uh ovation where he i think he'd be kind of surprised with just how loud yeah. people would get I, I i agree i think he'd be like wow they remember me yeah no definitely we do <laughs> we appreciated what he did he did he did a good job uh okay so for defense i'll go first this time um I, again, I think we're going to have a little crossover here. So I do have an alternate. But uh, my, the first guy that came to my mind was Milan Yurchina, who, again, was kind of this low, you know, low hanging fruit uh, free agent signing. Was he a good defenseman? No. But um, he had a longtime Lighthouse Hockey readers will remember uh, a phrase that I think was probably coined by Dom. It's got it's got Dom's voice all over it. The Yurchina anomaly which is that every time this guy was in the lineup, the Islanders would win for some reason. And it probably wasn't due to him specifically. He was had a little bit of the, the Radic Martinek in him, which is scary considering that they probably played a lot of games together. But he's kind of this big, lanky, hulking guy. Didn't move very well. He had like a helmet that looked like it was too small on him. But for some reason, the Islanders would win. And he's the kind of guy who whenever he would score that, like, you know, five goals a season or whatever, it'd always make you laugh because it'd be like, oh my God, the juice had a goal. Oh yeah, how is this possible? And he, his nickname was the juice. The juice was loose. <laughs> they had the whole thing, you know, and so he was just a huge goofball. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, for a little time, for a couple months there, every time he was in the lineup, they won and nobody knows why. I mean, he probably only won 30 games a year, but for whatever reason, your Chino was in, was involved. And then the other guy, I, I can't talk about this decade without talking about this guy who we both love and hate at the same time, Brian Strait. To me, <laughs> it's not a guy I don't want. I don't, I don't miss him on the ice, believe me. But to me, he kind of really exemplifies the difference between the <laughs> Islanders in the first part of the decade and then the end of the decade. And that this was a guy who probably well-meaning guy, a likable guy in the locker room, but was clearly thrust into a situation that he had no business being in. He was probably an AHL defenseman, a fifth, you know, sixth defenseman or seventh defenseman kind of call-up guy. And here he was playing every night, a lot of times for long stretches of games, and he was just not good. And he just tried as hard as he could, but boy, he was not good. But but for whatever reason, whether it was money or you know, the coaches liked him or for whatever reason, he just kept going out there every single night and it drove us all crazy. And I'm glad he's scouting for the devils. Now he's got a job, but to me again, if this is a huge difference, like under Garth snow and Capuano, Brian Strait gets playing time <laughs> under Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello. If you're not up to snuff, you ain't getting playing time. And it is a huge difference and I'm glad I don't have to watch him anymore. But when I think of this decade, I will always think of Brian Strait. <laughs> I'm glad you brought him. I was, I was like, you know, as <laughs> I was crossing off some guys, um, I was like, I, it's hard. I'm, I'm not going to include him, but I was, I had a feeling you would. And I need, we need, I was happy. We, I was brought him up some way anyway to talk about him. 
because mm. good lord like i i there so i remember exactly where i was for a lot of weird islander moments i remember exactly where i was when the islanders signed mike mikhail grabowski and nikolai kuleman like i was at i know yeah. i was in milford connecticut at a house at my friend's house after college and i would know exactly where like what part of the house i was in when the islanders did it and i started celebrating and people were like i don't even know who those people are so that doesn't doesn't matter and I also remember exactly where I was when Brian Strait signed that three-year contract extension after he played like oh, two right, games. Oh, right, yeah. I forgot to mention he, that. He, yeah. he played two games or whatever it was, and the Islanders signed him to like a three-year deal. And I was actually in um, the Caribbean in St. John and on vacation. And I was like flipped open. I can't. I think the Islanders had like just played like a matinee or something. And it was like close to the Super Bowl. Uh, the the Super Bowl where the lights went out between the 49ers and oh, the Ravens yep, and 49ers. Yep, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was like that week, maybe a couple of days before or after. And um, I yeah, I just remember being like, wait, what? Like this guy? Okay, very strange. He had played like maybe three or four games at that point for them, and they signed him yeah to the three year contract, and it was for like a million or something per year. Yep, and I'm pretty and sure. Thought- it was- one way at least the last two years of it were there was something weird where you're like yeah. oh we can't even get down <laughs> and it was like all right well you know he's looked okay in these first couple of games and i mean it's a million a year who cares little did we realize that this guy was going to be in the lineup you know probably 60 or 75 percent of the games for the next three years <laughs> driving us all crazy yeah he he also had that holding call against crosby yeah huh. that led to the pl- and and i remember being like if that was any other defenseman I actually would be like, that was not a great call. It was a little flimsy, but Sid Sid had a step on him. It was just probably his eyes lit up when he's like, holy shit, like I'm playing against Brian straight in overtime. Okay. Mm. Like this is unbelievable. And uh, yeah. whatever it was. Uh, but yeah, just a guy that weirdly because of the way he's, his like rep, his legend kind of grew. I, <laughs> if you showed him on this, the Jumbotron, I think there would be enough people who have some sort of like awareness that uh, he mm. he would be like fifty percent booed and fifty percent. I, w- I mean, I would be I would cheer the hell out of Brian Strait at alumni. I'd be like, this guy, you know, God mm. God bless him because he found a way to turn some <laughs> somehow through his fantasy football skills or whatever it was. Like he turned his <laughs> he turned himself into an NHL player for three seasons despite being yeah god awful yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. Like, I mean, that's what I'm saying is I'm sure he's a great guy and a great teammate, but yeah, it was tough watching him on the ice. But oof. Uh, so, uh, so who who were your two guys? Then? Yeah, so so I, uh, I my first guy was Mark Streit because he's like, I think it's weird when you think because you when you think of Islander captains, especially since you know I, I've been around, uh, I've been a fan. He's probably going to end up maybe – I mean maybe you could say Wade or Garen because they were captain for so, such a short time. But they definitely have a much bigger profile uh, than, than, than Strite does. But I just, I just always hope that people remember him you know, because he was an Islander captain and he really, really, really loved being an Islander, being a part of like – being a part of that kind of – being that ca- guy, like the captain – he he implemented a as much of a winning culture, I guess, as you could on on those teams. Mm. I remember they beat the Panthers. Uh, I think it was to clinch, uh, or maybe it was like the last game of the season uh, that they they made the playoffs. And he grabbed the microphone and like it must have been the they must have already clinched. Yeah, he must oh, yeah. they must have already clinched. It must have been like fan appreciation night, and they stayed on the ice for a little bit. 
and he grabbed the microphone and like skated around with it and was like, you know, you got, we heard you guys chanting, we want playoffs and we really wanted the playoffs too. And he did that. And he, um, mm. and I mean, this is all stuff that he was also good. <laughs> I should also say that like he was a good player, yeah. great power play point guy. Yeah. Free. My friend used to say, call it free skating with Mark Streit when the Islanders were on the power play. Cause he was, he was so good <laughs> at gaining the zone. And he also, uh, that season when the Islanders would have their three stars announced, he had them all stay on the ice after wins and they would make that, make that tunnel with the sticks. And, uh, the guy would skate through and they do like a little celebration thing, which I thought was, was, was fun and original. Um, but yeah, I, I've got nothing, nothing but like really, really, really good things to say about Mark Streit. And, uh, easily one of my favorite Islanders of recent years. Like, I just love that guy so much. How could you hate that guy? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't understand how anyone could hate him or not like him. I talk about him a lot with, uh, my friend who's a Montreal Canadiens fan, like just being like this guy, I wish this guy the best in like everything. I hope he, he becomes like a GM or something and lives a great, great life. Cause I, I love yeah. that guy. I mean, just a, just a great ambassador. And I remember, I remember when they signed him, my friend was like, they signed that guy, Mark Strike to a five-year contract. I'm like, who the Islanders? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you mean the guy <laughs> who played forward and defense for the Habs? Like, yeah, they signed him to a five-year contract. It's like, what are the, why? <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? But then you dig into it and you find out, yeah, he was an older guy. He was captain of the Swiss national team for a long time. And, you know, he had this like great international career, but the Habs didn't really like use him all that much. And I was like, ah, right, maybe they know something. And I mean, I've said it a million times. Those first two seasons of him with the Islanders, he was one of the best defensemen in the entire NHL. And not a single person ever saw him play because he, the Islanders were terrible. He was he was if they scored a goal, chances are Mark Streit was involved because he was the only guy on that team who could even consider scoring a goal. And he was so good. And not a single soul watched him play because he just yeah he's he was great. So and then it's actually so the, I I talk about Lubomir Vizdaski so much on the show that I was like you know what I'm gonna go uh, I I should go with him but I need in in a kind of a similar way with um with straight like another Islander guy who I think just did all the right things got thrown a contract that should never have happened was was uh, Andrew McDonald. Who's just who? People, like I mean, just I totally forgot what about a him warrior. <laughs> and it's just, which is so funny because he played like thirty-two minutes a night for the Islanders for a little while there. He was a, a like a Moncton Wildcat. He so he came up like I think Ted Nolan loved that about him. He stuck around with them, and then for like the first couple seasons of that uh, that decade, like he he was the guy that was he was on the ice like nonstop. It felt like mm. for for this team, he was blocking shots. He was he very good? Absolutely not. But he just did everything he could to try to get the Islanders a win. Uh, so, I, I mean, I appreciated that about him a lot. I think he also kind of like like a guy like Travis Hamannick, like he mm. brought him along pretty well. Like these, these, he was a guy that like he his his job with the Islanders was simply to like kind of hold a place for someone. Then I think he got asked to do too much and it, it kind of soured on him. But he's just a guy that I, I just know I don't want Islander fans to forget because he like, he was on a team that made the playoffs and that's not that's rare enough as the Islanders for the Islanders. And I'm pretty sure he was, it was like him and Strite that were like, Hey, like you, you guys are going to be saddled with uh, shutting down Malkin and Crosby, in this, yeah. in this <laughs> yeah. which uh, no, is obviously not going to work, but yeah, no, yeah, definitely him, him and Strait definitely had that about the similarity in that. Yeah. They were, were both thrust into situations where they were in over their head and like in a normal team, 
you know, he might have come along as like a fifth or sixth guy and had, you know, played against like sort of, you know, lower end guys on the other team's roster. But here it's like, no, you're number two now. And it's like, what? And so, you know, he, he the other problem, <laughs> my big thing with, with him was that anytime a player on the other team broke into the zone, uh, McDonald immediately dropped down to one knee. I've never <laughs> seen a guy try to block a shot that early in my entire life. He immediately was down on one knee, like trying to block shots. Like, dude, don't, don't do that. Like, don't. <laughs> Please try not to do that. He's the worst but, uh, passer yeah, the, I've ever seen, too. Yes, yeah, but but uh, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, again, like, what is this poor guy is playing on a bad team, and it's like he's just trying to <laughs> keep his team from giving up goals. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, you know, I had totally forgotten about Emac. But also, they got you know, they got a couple of draft picks from him uh, when they traded him to the Flyers. Yeah, he signed a terrible contract. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, he left on yeah. great terms because he signed a bad contract with a divisional rival, and they got draft yeah. picks for him and. He, uh, yeah, he, he, he's just someone that, you know, he, he literally left it all out there on the ice and had the Islanders like, like on his, you know, for the badge, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it and played on some bad teams. <laughs> he's a little bit like the anti-Parento and that he left on great, he stayed too long and left on great terms, but he wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, my other, my alternate, by the way, in case, uh, so, we, so we picked two, four different guys, which is good, but my alternate was Merrick Zidlitsky. Who was only here for one year, <laughs> I, and nobody remembers this guy played for the Islanders. But he he was good that one year. He was really good. They made and they made the yeah. playoffs. Yeah, they made the playoffs with him, which is I saw so him score two goals in a like, game I, against the Devils at, at Barclays Center. I was there with my friend and his son. I was like, you have no idea what how rare this is. This is unbelievable <laughs> that they did this. But that 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 team was fun because they they had signed like him, Pierre Bruch, Mark Bouchard, oh, yeah. and Peter Regan to, to one year deals, and uh, he was the only one I think to last the whole yeah. season. Oh man. Yeah, Bouchard was a bad one. Uh, okay, so so who's your goalie then on this uh, all not in the rafters team? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, I couldn't not do it. I had to, the, I had to pick Nabokov because I think, if, if looking back on like this entire decade, I think he probably would be my favorite player of the decade. Wow. Uh, yeah, he's just, I mean, what a really just great guy he he turned out to be, and we've told the story about how he you know basically didn't want to come. <laughs> Because he wanted to play for a contender, then ends up coming, loving it, embracing what the Islanders are about. Uh, just you know, from from my time working with Stan in the locker room, he was just so nice and so funny and wise. Like the, he he was so wise, and I'm so happy to see him uh, get the goaltending coach job with with the Sharks uh, and and kind of becoming like a prominent member of their front office because uh, he was he was awesome. I mean, just everything about him from from the fact that he wore number 20 as a goalie to his pads, like his mask, like the nabby mask. And uh, the way he sometimes he would come out 30 feet out of his net to make a kick save. And he, he was, he was uh, awesome. And, and I always remind people when they talk about that penguin series and how poor the, the goaltending was bad for both teams. First of all, flurry was terrible. Nabaka was terrible, but <laughs> Nabaka played so well down the stretch that season. Uh, and the Islanders needed to make a run. If they were going to make the playoffs, they needed to go like, you know, basically win 75% of the points available to make the playoffs that season. And Nabby was so good during that stretch. Uh, so he, they wouldn't have made the playoffs with, without him. Uh, and he just was, he was just like the most likable dude. Uh, yeah. He's right, right up my alley too. And uh, so he's, he's probably, if, if, if there was a, if, if, if I got to have a, uh, an award show at, at the Westbury Manor or, or Miller, <laughs> Milleridge Inn or whatever those Jericho place, whatever. Uh, and, and I was honoring my Islanders. He would, he would probably get come away with the, uh, 
Sean Bates player of the decade award. <laughs> yeah, no, he was, he was, uh, I, I mean, again, a great, he definitely left it all out on the ice. Uh, he emptied his tank essentially to get them into the playoffs and then, uh, kind of fell, fell off at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, just a great, a great voice. Like he didn't, the Islanders hadn't had a guy like him for a long time, a guy who, um, you know, had, was that wise and they called him the professor and I, I Arthur Staple, of course, did a great, um, did a great interview with him on the podcast uh, at the athletic. And I, I was hoping he would ask about the time when, uh, the Islanders were losing. I think they had given up two goals to the Rangers. They went to the locker room and Doug Waite, this is when Waite was still an assistant coach and he chewed them out and the Islanders came back and, and ended up winning, I think five, two or five, three or something like that. And Dave Lozo, uh, who was still a hockey writer at the time asked Nabokov, hey, can you tell us what um, Waite said at, in intermission? And Nabokov was like, no, what are you spy? <laughs> it was just cracked me up the way he said, nobody else could have maybe made that line that funny, but he was like, no, what are you a spy? You know? So yeah, I just love it. But you know, that's the kind of thing like he can get away with saying that, you know, cause he's like this old guy and, and uh, he just had that great accent. And so, yeah, no, Nabby was a great one. I, I did. I did enjoy him. And I will still, he's a guy who would definitely get a, a round of applause if he was oh, on yeah. the Islanders. Um, home game uh my pick for goalie definitely spent less time with the islanders than nabokov did but i still love him nonetheless who has been in an islanders uh, uh alumni game and he got a good ovation it was al montoya um i love uh redemption stories i love guys that you know bounce around and and come to the islanders and find success michael grabner was one of those guys parento was one of those guys molson obviously one of those guys and and Montoya, I thought, could be the goalie version of those guys where he had been a, a very high draft pick. I think he was taken like, I don't know, eighth or 10th or 15th or something overall by the Rangers. And he had gone to Michigan where my, a good friend of mine had uh, gone to Michigan and was a fan of his. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy is going to be good. Didn't work out for the Rangers. Ended up playing in the ECHL or something. And Don Maloney, I think the story was he was the, the Coyotes GM at the time. And I think he may have called up Snow when the Islanders had a goalie hurt and was like, look, you, I got a goalie here. I can't do anything with him. You, you should take him." And so he ended up coming to the Islanders and he played really, really well for a long time. And, you know, you really hope that he had been that guy. Um, and you just liked him. He was the big Cubano. He's from Chicago. He had the, the hair going. He's just a like, you know, he had the, the back of the mass at El Cubano Grande. Like who else has a, has a Cuban goalie? Like this is just great. You know, <laughs> I just loved him. Um, he took a concussion one, one game. And uh, that was it. He just wasn't the same. He came back too quickly, obviously. Uh, ended up carving out a pretty good career for himself as a backup with a bunch of teams. Winnipeg, he was with Florida for a while. Uh, I think he ended up playing for the Blackhawks finally for a little bit. Uh, again, it's a backup. But uh, it took him a long time to get over that concussion. And unfortunately, the Islanders moved on to, I don't even know who else, probably Nabokov or whoever. Uh, and it's a real shame that it kind of ended that way. But I'm glad to see him back at an alumni game. I thought that was great. I'm like, oh, man, they brought back Al Montoya. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I just I just wish he had, it had been better. You know, again, it would have been the perfect guy for that team to have finally have a goalie to hit their, their wagon to that wasn't Rick DiPietro because he was always hurt. But uh didn't work out. But that's my pick uh, was definitely Al Montoya. He, yeah, so, he was yeah. he was someone who, who was like this was just, that was I feel like the word shrewd. This is a shrewd move. But mm. no, like he never had like great moves, but anything that was good was shrewd. And I definitely thought that uh, that one was was one of his shrewd ones. And yeah, you, you nailed it with the mask and just the, his look. And you wonder, like, because I think what ended up happening. So he was there for the first couple seasons of the decade. And then he played with with Nabokov a little bit, I guess, in, in that second year. And then then it was basically like, well, we can't keep you guys and Rick. 
and then they also had Kevin Poulin. Mm. Uh, so he had to he had to move on. But he, uh, yeah, I mean, just like super likable dude. He seemed like like just a guy that like you're like yeah. no, I love having Amontoya on the Islanders. You might not you know you might not think of him as an Islander, but you know we're we're proud of. Him. We were proud to have him. Mm. I remember a game against the Sabres where they won in overtime. That was the uh, the 2010-2011 season where they ended up not making the uh, the playoffs, but they had a hell of a push. That was the year that they fired Scott Gordon. They they named um, uh, Jack Capuano coach, and they went on this incredible run, and they won a game 6-5, I think, in overtime in Buffalo. Michael Grabner had a hat trick with the the overtime winner, and Montoya was out there, and you know he was he was doing all he can to stop goals, and you know, he was kind of flying and swinging the legs around, and it was crazy. So um, it, you know, again, that that really endeared me to him. He just was battling the entire time, but yeah, there you go. So Montoya, if you're listening to this, thank you, and thank you to all of our uh, <laughs> our not in the rafters uh, players for uh, giving us a great deal of enjoyment, and thank you all for listening. This was a super sized episode. I told you right up front it was going to be super sized, and it is super sized. So I'll, I'll make these announcements very quick. Um, January 4th at the Offside Tavern, the Isles Buzz live show. Get there before the Leafs Islanders game. Just come down, have fun. Uh, it's going to be a great time. I was at the last one. Uh, it was a great time. We have special guests. Russ Cohen's going to be there. Might have some uh, other Lighthouse Hockey folk there. Uh, but that is January 4th, Offside Tavern. You all know where it is. Uh, it's a cool place to hang out. We're going to watch the Islanders Leafs game. Uh, hopefully the weather's nice and uh, going to have a live Isles Buzz show. So, so do that. Uh, new Isles Buzz should be out this week. You should already have listened to PT Isles. Joe's, Joe had uh, a thing going on today. Uh, he also did, again, his uh, his uh, team uh, games of the decade. So check that out. Uh, we still need calls for my favorite Islanders game. If you're like me and you have some time off uh, with the holidays around right now, you should definitely call in and leave us a story about your favorite Islanders game. The number is 646-980-8857. People are calling in twice now. So, I mean, come on now. You can't let these folks call in multiple times without having called in once. So please call in. Ladies, again, looking for our first lady caller. You're out there. I know. I know you're out there. Islanders fans, lots of lady Islander fans. Please call that number and tell us about your favorite Islanders game. 646-980-8857. Read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. Um, uh, You should uh, VintageIceHockey.com, Lighthouse 15, save uh, 15%. Uh, you should follow Mike on Twitter, and his Twitter account is the Big Lebowski with two E's. The Big Lebowski with two E's. You should follow him there. You should have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever you're celebrating, whatever you're doing. If you're driving out to the island like I am, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I am with you. I sympathize. I have to do it twice in two weeks. Uh, man, I just I'm really not looking forward to it. But you know, that's what we gotta do. It's this time of year. Happy Hanukkah to Stan Fischler, uh, who I'm gonna email later tonight and wish happy Hanukkah to. And I I'm saying that right now so I don't forget because I forget every year. Uh, but this year it's late, so I didn't forget, and I'm not gonna forget. But anyway, uh <laughs> happy holidays to everybody. Uh anything else? I think we covered everything, right? No, that's good. We uh we did it. We did a nice tidy hundred and five minutes here, or so right? Yeah, it's as tidy as a hundred and five minute podcast can get i guess but hey again like i said if you got time off this week throw it on you know think of us as as like an islanders yule log like you just had to have it on the background (laughs) (laughs) just to celebrate the season and and uh, feel cozy and warm uh in the uh the winter months so uh thank you very much for listening have a great holiday we'll be back next week right yeah sure why not we'll do something it's not uh it's not um new year's yet next uh next week but we'll find some time and we'll be back and uh we'll talk to you again then All right. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
mãos.